Let's pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our ascended God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. According to a recent survey by the health giant Cigna Group, Austin is one of the most lonely cities in the United States. It's true. Um, KUT reported this uh, earlier this month. It was a survey that was taken in February of this year. Uh, 20,000 individuals took the survey across 17 different major urban areas in the U.S. And the questions, they ranged from your contentment, your happiness um, in your work, your work-life balance, your work-home balance, your contentment in relationships, your contentment in uh, your loneliness or your busyness. And Austin residents ranked high above the national average of loneliness. In fact, 60% of Austinites said that they felt lonely. And do you want to guess which generation of Austinites was the most lonely? What did you guess? Millennials, yeah. Millennials, actually, they call it gener Generation Z, specifically ages 20 to 35, which I can still kind of, I, I'm at the that, that far end of that, so I'm going to call myself that because I can lump myself together with 20-year-olds. That's awesome. I can do that for a couple more years. That also makes me lonely. Um, but interestingly enough, the, that generation, uh, over half of them, they identified with 10 out of the 11 factors of loneliness. They said social media had nothing to do with it, um, according to the survey and the, the people that did it. Um, of those, now generally speaking, of all the people that took the survey, the, how did they get to that number 60%, which is over the national average of 54% for major urban areas? They found that two out of five Austinites regularly felt lonely, and one over one over over one out of five Austinites said that they feel completely left out or not included in regular social life or life of another person. And I don't believe that this is just window dressing about how they feel because the next question, another question they asked in this survey was this, uh, your contentment in your relationships. And do you know what the contentment in relationships in Austin found? They found that about 47% or nearly half of people in this city do not feel content in their relationships. Wow. This is the Austin, Texas that, that you and I live in, right? You know, the college town, the... The tailgating parties, the Formula One, South by Southwest, um, Austin City Limits. This is the busy place where people, I mean, tech startups. I mean, is Amazon going to move here? I mean, everybody wants to be here. Everybody wants to do life uh, in Austin, Texas, right? No, more and more. Busy, busy, busy means lonely, lonely, lonely. Um, the good news is, well, the bad news is that the, if that one out of two of us, either you or me, are lonely or maybe don't feel content in our relationships. That's sad. But the good news is, is that you're not alone, ironically, because over half of people feel this way. And the question for a Christian in, in this setting particularly might be this, does God have anything to say about loneliness? Because you can be in a very busy place, and I've talked to some people in this church that feel very lonely even though they are sitting in a pew every week around other people. You can feel very lonely at your work. You can feel very lonely at school, and you can even have a lot of friends on Facebook and still be lonely. 
Does God have anything to say about loneliness? And does God have a solution for loneliness? And the answer is yes and yes. But probably not in the way that you want to imagine the answer being yes and yes. He, is very, he, he has even more powerful answers about loneliness than you could ever imagine. Um, does God say anything about loneliness in his word? Yes. In fact, all of his word is about eternal loneliness, the loneliness that we have as a sinner who say, I break a relationship with you, God, a loneliness that began at the garden and, and a loneliness that was between individuals and God, between nations and God, a loneliness and an isolation that God said, uh, because you have chosen to be um, away from me in relationship, you're going to be lonely. But not just lonely like we take surveys lonely. You're going to be eternally lonely. There's not any hope past this life for you, lonely. And that's a terrible lonely. It really is to think and to live with this unrest in our hearts that, that, there's no, that there's no life beyond this life with God. And so, yes, God has something to say with loneliness. And even more amazingly, God says this, I know loneliness because I made myself lonely. God came to earth in the person of Jesus and hardly anybody understood him for most of his life. Remember at age 12, he was... He was lost, or supposedly lost. I just had a, 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 we were at the Mall of America on a a short vacation a couple weeks ago, and we went up to the um, desk there, and they said, uh, we said, what are we going to do if we lose our kids? And they kind of looked at us, and they said, you don't lose your kids. Adults get lost. Kids do not get lost, but your kids are going to be fine. Remember Jesus getting lost at the temple? Mary and Joseph saying, we lost him. No, they, they got lost. Jesus wasn't understood by his mother, I have to be about my father's business. He wasn't understood by his mother. He lived a very lonely life, but he lived it with God the Father the whole time. He was in prayer with him all of the time because he had that perfect connection with him. He never sinned once. He, throughout his ministry, the crowds didn't understand him. He went away, and what did he do? He prayed to God his Father because he knew that ultimate loneliness was not abandoned by his Father. But here's where Jesus goes even farther, and God goes even farther into our loneliness that at the very moment when Jesus needed his friends and his disciples to be there, what did they do? They left him. And when his best friend or one of his best friends had an opportunity to speak up for him, he didn't. And when he hung on the cross and he said the words, my God, my God, what did he say? He was isolated and alone unlike any way that you and I would ever be surveyed to be because God, because God put his wrath on him. But here's the beauty. He did that isolation to bring us to him. Now, I went to all of that history about God and God's loneliness because God put himself into that position so that you, could, you would never be lonely again forever. And that's the first and greatest point of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, and I know this is a long way to get into Ephesians chapter 4, but Ephesians is just this beautiful little book. I mean, it's written by Paul. It's almost like a catechism of Paul. Whereas Romans, it could take us like five years to get through the book of Romans in Bible class. It could take us maybe, I hope, maybe at Holy Word it's different, maybe five weeks to get through Ephesians, but he nails all of these little points and they're just beautiful teaching points. And he starts off with this passage about the connection and the relationship that we have with God 
In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which many of you might know by heart, it is by grace you're saved through faith. This is not of yourself, gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast. That's Jesus on the cross saying, I'm isolated and God has turned his face away from me so he would never turn his face away from you, Dan, from you, Nelson, from you, Leah, and so that you have an eternal home with him forever. Now, that's, that's the first loneliness that God confronts in his word, and it's the most important one. But as you unfold and you go into the next verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 9, you go into verse 10. Already you understand that you and I are not made to be alone. And we're not made to hang on to verse 8 and 9 and go live in a monastery somewhere. Or just to, uh, to, to, to pull back from, from society. But actually in verse 10 it says this, that you and I are created as God's handiwork. Like he's, like he's in the workshop working on you before time even began and he gives you the, the hair color that you have and he gives you the gifts that you have. He gives you the talents that you have. He gives you the very specific things that make you you. And he says, I've made you underneath that grace to be a part of a, a community to do good works. And you say, well, I'm doing good works for God. Of course you're doing good works for God, but in a really practical way, who are you doing them to and for? You're doing them for your neighbor. And that's where the rest of Ephesians unfolds and makes a lot of sense. The rest of chapter 2 talks about your Jews and your Gentiles over here, but don't think about yourself so differently. You're different for sure, but underneath the body and the grace of Christ, you all work together as one body. Chapter 3 is the same way. Um, enjoy the community that you're in, and you might not have the same skin color as another person. You might not have the same background. You might not have the same um, skill set. You might not have the same ethnicity, but you're, you're in it, you're underneath the, the, the head, which is Christ, and you're being built together into his temple. And that's the community that God puts you in. It's a community that starts with God's grace, and then when you, once you have that purpose, it's a community that lives out and rebuilds relationships with others. And so you have in later, even past the verses that we have today, you have uh, husbands and wives, servants and masters, all of these relationships working together. In the song that we sang before, it was us, God, you know, we're forgiven. We have this grace, Ephesians 8 and 9. Now, God, make us, make us work. Make my life a reflection. Make my life a, a sacrifice and an offering to you. And so with that, Paul says this. He says in verse 7 of chapter 4, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace is given to all of us. It's, it's, it's the grace that comes from the cross. It is finished. It is forgiven. It's been given to each and every one of us. But here's what Paul is saying. Like God, who, who, is, who, is the, who is the chef of a great banquet and a meal, and he sees every person come through, he knows exactly what you, he needs to put on your plate better than you know what you need to put on your plate, or I know what I need to put on my plate. He scoops out just the right portion for you. And he crafts you and he makes you just the right way. So you and I, he's saying, each one of us has different gifts and we've been apportioned different gifts. Pastor Dan has a different gift than Ron, has a different gift than Myrna, has a different gift. And it goes on and on. But we don't look at it as a competition. We look at it as more of what? The body of Christ that's being built up. So grace is free and it's full and it's forgiven for all people, but our gifts are apportioned differently. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. 
What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lowly earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This is a quote in verse 8 from Psalm 68. And if you go back to Psalm 68, you might say the wording is different in Psalm 68, and you're right. But Paul, as an inspired exegete of this text, he understands what the whole psalm is saying. And the whole psalm is basically a a prophetic psalm that's talking about the work of Jesus in the future. And so uh, many years before Jesus came, the psalm said there's going to be this figure that's going to come and he's going to defeat. And when he defeats the enemy, um, he's going to have a a victory party. And when he comes back from the victory party, he's going to hand out gifts like a, a victor would, the spoils of war. And you know that Jesus did the same thing. We just heard it before. He came from heaven. He came into our our, our pitiful little earth that we ruined and we messed up and we broke relationship with God and with other people and he mended it at the cross. And he didn't just mend it at the cross, but when he rose from the dead, he, he said, victory over Satan, victory over death, victory over this world. I'm going to hand out gifts before I go back to heaven. And as he ascended, and Paul alludes to that right here, the ascension, ascension day, Ascension Day is a day that he gives gifts. And the gifts that he gives are his spirit, and he's going to give them in a very specific packaging. But the packaging is different for every person. And you're part of that. Okay? This is, this is what he says. To all people of all time who have faith in Jesus, he's giving these gifts. Um, so Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You caught it right there. Um, All of the different leaders that Christ gave to his church. Jesus' ascension is a gift And that gift includes his leaders, and his leaders equip you. The apostles and the prophets, they're lumped together in a group right there. Those were God's gift to his people in the early church who spoke exactly from God. They were prophets and apostles like the 12 disciples of Jesus. Later, another one was added after Judas Judas killed himself. Um, But these people had a certain gift, and what God gave them was the ability to speak exactly what they saw and heard from Jesus, but then to speak from God himself, to be the voice, voice of God to the people, or the messengers of God to his church. But those people had a different gift than the evangelists. Evangelists were, were, tasks, were tasked with very specific and uh, preaching of the gospel, and, and we don't know exactly what that all meant, but we know that a couple of evangelists were named Stephen. Do you remember what happened to him? He was the first martyr. Another evangelist that we hear of in the New Testament is um, Philip. Do you remember he did outreach and he baptized an Ethiopian eunuch? And then another one that we hear about is Timothy. So here's another gift to God's people. They aren't the apostles and prophets, but they're evangelists, people that go out and spread the good news. 
And then there's pastors and teachers, people that are tasked, it seems like at this time, a shepherd of people that would gather people. Maybe there was some administration involved, but teaching had a very systematic way of laying out doctrine to people so that they could understand what the apostles were saying. It was already happening here. And later on, this is an early epistle, later on in what we call the prison letters, Paul would even talk about deacons and he would talk about bishops. And so these gifts are developing throughout the ages and God keeps giving these gifts again and again and they all do different things. I can't tell you exactly what they all did back then, uh, but I can tell you today, I'm a pastor in 21st century America and I'm I'm part of an organized church called Holy Word. (laughs) I'm not an apostle or a prophet. And you might think, oh, I wish I was an apostle or prophet. That'd be really cool. The apostle and prophets are gifts to me. I don't have to be one. But I appreciate that they wrote down exactly what God told them to write down so that I can share it in my office today. And without them, I'd be lost. I, I, be a, I shouldn't even be up here standing if it weren't for the apostles' teachings. And I can tell you, I'm not an evangelist or called to be one exactly like Philip or Stephen or Timothy. But I really appreciate their evangelistic spirit that is gifted to me. And I can look at it and I can say, wow, I want that spirit of Paul. I want that spirit of of Philip to go and baptize. But I'm a pastor in 21st century America called by God to be here at this time in this place at this church. They're a gift to me. I'm not envious. I'm part of the body. And the same goes for you. I mean, I'm speaking to maybe one pastor in the crowd right now. Not all of you are pastors. But that's okay. Because a pastor is supposed to be a gift to you, he says here. And a pastor's work, uh, whatever it is in the, the way that you've called him to be here today to serve you, is to serve you and to be a gift to you. Now, here's the, where the rubber hits the road. You're you, and I'm me, and I'm, I'm, I'm lumped together in a, in a way with what, one of the gifts that God has given to you, but what is God's gift to you, a pastor or a leader, a spiritual leader, and what are they called to do for you, according to this text? Did you catch it? To equip you for works of service. To equip you. That means that my job isn't just up here to be a mouthpiece, which is one of my jobs, but actually to say, what is it about you, the way that God crafted you, the, God, the way that God made you, the, God, the way that he put you together? What is it about that way that he put you together that I can help activate? In other words, the gifts that you receive is a challenge from God. The challenge is, is that the person that I'm working with, and I'm a sinner too, and, I, I, and I, I mess up, but that person that he's put in my life is there to challenge me to be a part of the body of Christ with whatever God has given me. That means that this person in front of me is going to have to be transparent with me, and I'm going to have to be able to trust them, and I'm going to have to be able to be transparent with them about what I can and can't do. Or about the way that maybe, maybe my pastor didn't say it the best to me. Or maybe, maybe he hasn't filled out all of the summer plans for Planning Center Online. And you nudge him and you say, Pastor, you know that you're here to equip me. You know that you're here to, 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 to make me shine. And I say, I'm a sinner. And, and you know what I need? I need a relationship with God that is grace. 
I need forgiveness and you need forgiveness. And this is where it comes back to a true community starts with a connection to God through grace. And that's through his son, Jesus. And if you know that I'm covered by grace and I'm a gift, and I know that you're a gift covered by grace, we can go forward and we can do anything for the kingdom without fear of each other or without wondering whether we're, um, whether we have alternative motives. When Christ is the head, and we keep preaching this from the pulpit and teaching it and believing it and knowing it in our hearts. There's nothing we can't do for the kingdom. He gives gifts. And that's the beautiful thing. At this time when Jesus is leaving his disciples and going away and they're freaking out, I would be. Jesus says, I'm actually going to make you stronger by giving you my Holy Spirit through these gifts. And they're all grace. So number one, Jesus' ascension gifts include leaders to equip you. Number two, we'll get to that after we read verse 14 and the following. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Do you see another gift that we have together when we dig into the word of God together, when you have a pastor that's trained, but then a pastor who has equipped with elders, we can make each other stronger and know for sure when we dig into the word of God what we're seeing and what we're believing. Okay. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Christ's community, the community that he creates, is a supportive community, and that's the community that he wants you in. I remember doing a piece in, um, we used to have a newsletter that went out to this neighborhood around us called North Acres. It was the North Acres Homeowners Association something or another. I forgot the name of it. They stopped publishing it about two years ago, but they asked me to write a monthly piece. I never got any feedback, but I would write something and I'd, I'd kind of sprinkle in the gospel when I could. And uh, one of the things I said that I appreciate about um, Christian community and community in general, and I think the Christian community should herald this, is that community isn't just what you get out of it. And this was the quote, community isn't just what you get out of it, it's what you put into it. And I finally heard back from somebody, I think I had written like 12 articles, and they finally, somebody emailed me and said, Pastor, that one, that one thing about community, that, that really got to me. And I thought, wow, somebody's listening, all right. But I want you to think about that. Community, in my generation especially, Community isn't just what you get out of it, but it's what you put into it. And the call of Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, verse 10 and following, including this part right here, is that when you put yourself into a position to serve another person, you're entering into real community because that's the community that God creates because he served you first. And when you go into that community, you're going to see the richness of grace because you're going to have to practice it. You're going to see the richness of sacrifice because you're going to feel it. And you're going to see the richness of friendship because it's there by grace already in the body of Christ, regardless of who you're working with and what you're doing. So I'm going to tell you and end with the story of uh, two men. Their pictures are up on the screen here. Their names are, and I'm not going to get them correct, but they, uh, the man on the left is Gia Haikia, and the man on the right is Gia, same first name, 
uh, Wenki. So I'm going to call them Hykea and Wenki from now on. All right, they had the same first name. I came across this. It's a YouTube video, about 10 minutes long. It's, it's great. If you go home tonight, look it up. It's short. Uh, it was a movie done by GoPro, and they put GoPro cameras on both these guys, two guys that grew up together in a small Chinese village. Uh, Hykea, as you can see from that picture, is missing his arms. And he had lost his arms at a very young age. So he grew up most of his life without arms, and that's a normal thing. I mean, I have a I have family that have ligaments missing, and you don't even think anything of it after a while. You just adapt. His best friend, and their best friends, their fathers were best friends, his best friend there on the right, uh, Wenki, is blind. But he's not blind from birth. He's blind from about the age 40, when he was in an accident and he lost his sight, permanent sight uh, loss. Uh, Wenke did not handle it very well. In fact, he went into depression and he thought, I don't have a purpose in life anymore and, and uh, I can't get along. Of course, it's more difficult to overcome a handicap at 40 than it is at four. And, um, and his friend came to him and Hykea said this. He said, he said, you be my arms and I'll be your eyes. And that's what they're doing right there in that picture. He says, I'll be your eyes, you'll be my arms. Did I get that right the first time? Okay. Practicing the sermon, I got it wrong again and again. I'll try to get it right, because this is the conclusion. Are you ready? They went on from there, and they helped each other. You should see the video. They would help each other get water. They would help each other uh, open doors. They worked with their feet. They worked with their hands. And two of these men had a passion, and their passion was to clean up the air quality in China. One of the great problems, as you may well know, is that there's a lot of pollution in China. And every tree that is planted is like an air purifier, Wenke says in the documentary. And so they started planting trees, first of all, to sell them. But then they just started planting trees to do it, to clean up the air. And it's not a very easy process for these two guys to do. Hykea leads him down the road to a forest that they can find a tree and they prune a tree, and Hykea leads him to it, Wenki to a tree, and Wenki, and the GoPro does a good job, job of showing this, a camera on his body. He climbs up the tree without seeing, and um, Hykea is his eyes on the bottom, and he finally finds a branch, and he cuts off the branch, as blind as he is, and it falls to the ground, and then it's, it's, they can't afford seeds for trees, and so this is what they do. They take one at a time, and they plant it in fertile soil, and they work painstakingly slow, but today, they've planted over 10,000 trees together. <laughs> wow. I'll be your eyes, you'll be my arms. I can't be in your office, and I can't be in your home or your community. I can't be at every social gathering or invited to every party that you're invited to. Um, but I'll be your eyes if you'll be my arms. I know that you are going to be in heaven someday, and I know that you want all of your friends and your neighbors and your community to be in heaven someday too. But you go places I can't go, and you have talents that I don't have. Uh, we have a great need to care for people in our church, in our community, to, to pray with them, to to be at their doorstep, to, to, to cook them a dish. I can't cook. I can't be everywhere at once. I don't have unlimited time, but I'll be your eyes if you'll be my arms. Um, I, 
I love music. I'm not really good at music. I love different sorts of music, but I can't play different sorts of music. Luther once said that next to doctrine, music is the one thing that, that, that made him happy, that was a rich gift from God. But you know what? Not everybody's musical. And not everybody can sing the songs that I like, and, and I can't even sing the songs really well that, that you like, but I'll be your eyes if you'll be my arms. And together we'll be the body of Christ. And we'll worship together. And we'll care for people together. The way that God called us to care for each other and for one another. And we'll call people to Christ and that ultimate relationship with him in heaven because because he loved us first. So if you're lonely, remember number one, God was lonely for you. And it's by grace that you're saved. And if you miss community, remember God made you to be just the way that you are to put you into community, to give you spiritual guides and leaders along the way to push you and to encourage you and to, and to, and to show you that, that, that the community that you are in is a community that God wants you to work in and to bless others and to enjoy the, the fellowship that we have because because although you can't be the eyes, you can be the arms. And when we fail as the arms, or when we fail as the eyes, we can remember who's the head? The one who forgives us. In his name, amen. Let's pray. Dear Christ, our head, you, uh, you arose from the dead and you ascended into heaven, and you rule at the right hand of God. Thank you for giving us gifts as you went on your way and you give us gifts today in the people that you put around us. Help us to recognize the place that you put us in your community, not to be lonely, but to, to rest assured in the eternal home and peace that we have with you and in the love and care of those people that you've put around us in your Christian church on earth. Now we wait for you to come back and to make all of these realities that we experience today uh, eternity too. In Jesus' name, amen.